Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to Around the World in 80 Cigars with me, Nick Hammond. Now, I'm looking forward to this chat. I think you're going to like this one. Um, I met this gentleman a few years ago, and I have to say, he's probably one of the most interesting men. It has been my pleasure to interview over the years. Um, I think you could probably call him a sort of modern day Indiana Jones. <laughs> he's talking to us today from his, uh, from his property in rural Zimbabwe which is a place where he grew up uh, and ran with the animals from an early age. He used to pick up stones from riverbeds and polish them and craft them. Um, he, used to, uh, he used to watch the birds of the sky and he sketched them and studied them and, and found out why they worked and how they flew. And, and he was that sort of kid. He fished, he shot. And uh, one day when he, was a, when he was a young man, he made his, his, his new girlfriend a pair of earrings. And, and really from that moment... Um, his life was set on a path that just continues to be quite remarkable. He's a sculptor and a silversmith. And, uh, and he runs boutique luxury stores in London, Nairobi, Mauritius and Harare. And it's with great, great pleasure that, uh, that I'd like to introduce you, if I possibly can get his uh, microphone working, <laughs> to, to Patrick. Are you there, Patrick? You can't hear, you can't talk, can you? Because your microphone's paused. What a shame. Oh, hang on. Let's just, uh, there you go. How's You're back. that? You're I'm back. Heck. Patrick, so sorry. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks <laughs> very much, Nick. Uh, good morning from Zimbabwe, from a nice sunny day out here. It's actually winter. So there's a bit of a nip in the air, but it, it's, it really is great to speak with you. And, uh, and I'm very, very happy that we've reacquainted. And you wanted to hear just a little bit about my life. Uh, so I, I'm a fifth-generation African of Greek and Scottish descent. Right. And uh, I've got Mavros, obviously, is the Greek. Fletchers and Napiers are the Scots. And uh, we came out here centuries ago in, in search of fortune. And then we've stayed on and enjoyed a very, very interesting history out here and uh, uh, as my father was a, a rural doctor and uh, I was uh, born uh, 66 years ago uh, in out there in the bush and, uh, and I was a victim of the polio epidemic so oh, really? for a couple of years of my life I couldn't walk which very interesting played a big role in my life that why it took me a long time to get going on those pins of mine and also, I was a bit of a stick insect. And being a stick insect, I could climb trees. I could go out on thin branches and look at, into birds' nests that other boys couldn't do. Wow. So uh, that's how I extended myself. And then I had to run to the tree. And one of my wonderful schoolmasters, Peter Stain, who's a world authority on raptors, he would encourage me to run out to these trees, climb the trees, go to the eagle's nest, check how many eggs there were, or in the case of an eagle, sometimes two eggs, big African eagles, and then the two chicks hatch and they have a fight, fight to the death. It's called uh, yeah, a of course, it's Canaan a Abel thing, isn't it? Yeah, dead right. And uh, so that was it. And, and my interest in drawing grew. My mother really helped me uh, so much with, with the, on the art side. And that helped me cultivate that. And as you say, like any boy with one mother and three adoring sisters, I, I love to adorn them uh, with little 
rocks or thorns or <laughs> a tortoise uh, scale, uh, anything that, that listen. And I was brought up uh, as well, you know, in, in the community that uh, surrounded us, and especially our cook. He was from Malawi, well period. And as a small boy, he would take me in the bush and tell me stories about trees. And, and he, he was actually a carver. He was a, that man, our chef, Wello Piri, carved masks for a traditional Malawian dance called Chigure. And he, he, was, he was a well-known mask carver. So there we go. There, you know, it's just so wonderful to think back of that rich heritage that I had and that I took with me. And, and uh, yeah, and, and got to school, wasn't, did very well in my A-streams at junior school because my mother was chairman of the Parent Teachers Association. But when I went to the boys' school in the bush, my, uh, I slid into a B-stream and then into a C-stream, all right? And that's where, <laughs> that's, that's his just about as much as you're going to want to hear on my academic side, but <laughs> love some of yeah, love some of my teachers. Just there were teachers there who taught me more about literature through being nice people, or uh, more about Rudyard Kipling, who I fancy tremendously, and uh, of course his great poem on uh, on cigars called Betrothed. But anyway, be that as it may, that was my kickoff. That was how I started. A bit of a bush boy, uh, tree then, climber. Was it? Um, yeah. Were you living? You know, was it big five territory? Where you sort of did you have to be on your metal the whole time? No, no, no. Big five territory was all over our country, but you know we would live in small villages or yeah. small towns. You see, and if you wanted to go to big five territory. Uh, you know, your Uncle Peter would take you to Big Five Territory. It might take him an hour. It might take him three hours. But Big Five Territory was within was within reach of okay. everybody in our country in those days. Yeah. But you're still talking about, you know, huge crocs and snakes and things and, and, and all the... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You, and you become accustomed to them. And those are the dramatic things. I mean, I'm, one of my first memories is of a scaly pangolin, an anteater, yeah. a scaly pangolin, which a farmer had found, and it had actually wrapped itself around the bumper of his old Bedford truck, that front <laughs> bumper which stuck out. And I can still remember it explicitly, although there were also equally huge number of stories of black mambas pythons, leopards taking livestock. That was a common one. That you did not have to go far for. You know, python in the chicken run or leopard taking livestock when I was a young boy was nothing. Crocodile. Dad was my father. As a rural doctor, the number of people who were taken by crocodiles or wounded by crocodiles and, for that matter, hippopotamuses. Because a lot of people... A lot of people in those days would go and wash at a river yeah. or go and do their laundry at a river. And then they'd upset the they'd upset the inhabitants of that river and bang. Tragedy or or big maiming. Yeah. I mean there's an amazing picture. I very much remember staring at it in your in your shop in Chelsea of this enormous crocodile 
that you caught on the property there. Tell us the story of that one. Well, that, that was that big crocodile was actually on the Zambezi River, right. which is our northern border with uh, with Zambia. And that crocodile had in his tummy, if you recall, the the big lump there. He had two fishermen in there, no. and he was the notorious. He was notorious for knocking fishermen out of their dugout canoes, out of their makoros. Because he was so big, he was just under 15 feet, massive weight, power. And what he would do is come up alongside the canoe where one man was paddling away with a canoe full of nets or fish, and he'd smash the side of the canoe with his head, a sideways sweep. You might have seen it on Attenborough movies. Yeah. Little baby crocodiles knocking a grasshopper off a floating twig. Oh, yeah. It's exactly the same thing, except that little croc is only, you know, eight inches long. I'm telling you what, wait till he's 50 feet and you watch him. He's not knocking grasshoppers anymore. He's knocking oh, people. So he's right terrorizing this stretch of the river then. Was he, was yeah, he, and it's the same movement. It's that same thing that I'd see on those, those Attenborough movies, the side swipe of a little baby croc getting one of his first meals of a grasshopper who's floating along on a stick of grass. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so, terrifying. How did, you, how did you catch up with him? Well, we eventually, we eventually trapped that guy uh, on a riverbank okay, right. and, uh, where he used to bask, and there was... Uh, yeah, I think it was a particular lady crocodile who he fancied. Okay, so he'd <laughs> go up way, there, Patrick, off he'd the go up there and lie alongside her, you know, in the sunny hour, so to speak. <laughs> and we trapped him in there, and then he got relocated. <laughs> Amazing. And um, yeah. and how old would a would a beast like that be? You got to be talking fish. Probably, yeah, probably 60, 60 yeah. years old, we reckon. Amazing. In the region of 60 years old. He might have even been 17. You know, in my part of the world, crocodile is a, an old crocodile, an old crocodile to be specific, very respected creature. And there's a Shona proverb that says the old crocodile lives in a deep pool. And basically what it means is that that survivor, whether he's a chief whether he's a politician or just a wise old man, yeah. if he has lived that long, okay, then he's likened to a crocodile. He's obviously kept away from a lot of the dangers, okay, yeah, and he slept in a deep pool. So that, uh, a crocodile like that has is a huge amount of uh, respect in our culture out here, yeah, and. It's also an inspiration to me and what I do now because so much of what I do has a story attached to it, a genuine story, you see. So, and, and the crocodile is in Africa, in my part of the world, we have totems. Yeah. Totems. So different families have a totem. You'd have a totem for your family. It might be, uh, it might be a gecko, all right? Or, right? or my totem might be a hyena and your family would inherit this totem and you'd have respect for it and it's a great if someone might have pangolin uh, it, it's a great sign of respect for that animal and you do not kill that if, if, if your geckos are your totem you will not kill geckos you'll speak up for geckos right and, and i'll speak up for hyenas and uh, someone else will speak up in fact the pangolin was so 
special nick. And, and people in the Western world have got to understand this. It's no good saying there's just no conservation. There's a lot of conservation in culture and tradition in Africa. Mm. A lot of respect. Respect for pythons, respect for crocodiles, etc. And it's the, it's the immense pressure of trade that is the problem. Not the resident, not the resident problem. Okay, it's the immense pressure of trade. So it really is a fascinating little exercise when we start getting into totems and we start getting into rural uh, conservation and what we think of things. It's and all my pieces that I do generally have a story. There's a lion. There's not just a crocodile. There's a there's, there's, there's something attached to it, not just an elephant. It's an elephant with a name, and that's a real name, not some name made up in some media office. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. And, and the stories, there's a sort of story arc to all the pieces, which makes them so covetable. You know, I mean, I stare for ages um, in, in, in the cabinets looking at these beautiful little silver monkeys or you know, um, I know yeah. I've got a thing for hippos. I love hippos. And, and it just fascinates me, that world. And I can tell yes. through your skill and your eyes that you sort of, you know, you share that as well. I mean, and when we, when we met and had a little cigar on the, on the roof a, a couple of years ago, I remember another story yes. that you told me about, which was, um, was the peregrine. Can you remember that? Oh, yeah, the <laughs> peregrine falcon. Can you tell us that? Because you, you have a massive love for birds of prey like I me. I thought you, is this, is this when I got done at, a, at Her Majesty's border? <laughs> so, you know, but I, 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 got, I got two peregrine stories. My papers were out of order in the 70s. Can you believe it? <laughs> Sanctions busting in the 1970s. I was just a young guy. No way. And uh, I, uh, I, got, I got, because my, my visa, I think it was, had expired, I got nicked by an immigration officer at the White Cliffs of Dover. He's come no. crossing over from Europe. <laughs> oh, no. He, said, he says to me, well, what are you doing here? I was, in fact, <laughs> I mean, I was, I don't know how old I was then, but anyway, early 20s. And I didn't know what to say. And I said to him, officer, forgive me. You can throw me out, but allow me one thing, please. I'm a falconer. I love peregrine falcons. And they nest on the White Cliffs of Dover. And all my life, all I wanted to see was a peregrine. And he turned around and he said, are you serious? Are you taking the mick out of me? I said, no, so I'm not. I said, this is this really for me is it would be a great achievement if you would just allow me to look at a peregrine. He said, uh, "What do you know about peregrines? Do you know about the African peregrine?" I said, "Yeah." Did he? I said, "I've had them. You know, I've I've had them. I've trained them." So you kidding me? He said, "You're a falconer." I said, "Yes, I'm a falconer." He said, "So am I." No. Is he really? Yeah. And so, did you ever read Philip Glazier's book? Of course. He said. And so that's it. He says, yeah, of course I read it. He says, he says, how long you got? I said, all the time you want to give me. He says, I'll take you to a peregrine's area right now. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, can you believe it? That was a one peregrine. And, uh, and did you go and see it? Yeah, when and saw it. I mean, no. uh, it's just a remarkable story. 
And then the other one, the other story I told him about a peregrine was when I was with a school friend of mine, yeah. um, Shorty Bent, and we went to go and trap a peregrine because uh, we wanted to have a look at it and we wanted to know that we could catch it, etc. and uh, man it. And so we went to this, the, this, this little canyon uh, on a river called the Sabakwi River. And sure enough, there was the peregrine falcon and we laid our nets down and our decoy pigeon uh, as per the, you know, the specs of the uh, falconry society. And uh, the peregrine came swooping down off the cliffs, down at the pigeon, doesn't see the nets, hits the nets and then flies with the net across this uh, 40 meters of water onto a cliff face oh. and sits on the cliff face three feet above the water. Shorty Bent and I are both swimmers. We leap into the Sabakwi River. We swim 30 meters across this deep canyon. All right, we get the falcon, hold it above the water and do backstroke all the way back again. <laughs> two, like two sticky insects. We get to the other side. That's it. Look at the falcon. Put a hood on it. Put Jesses on it. Take it home for the night, and uh, release it back into the wild the next day. Six days later, the local cattle rancher on that of that farm. It's the Sabakwi River Ranch. Shoots a twelve-foot crocodile that has just taken one of his prize heifers into oh. the drink oh. so there's this resident 12 footer watching these two schoolboys swimming across anyway i told that it's remarkable who you meet i was uh, just forgive me if i go on a little bit it was just <laughs> recently that uh that i was uh, in dubai okay and uh i got went to immigration the stop the chap looks at my passport so excuse me um uh, wait here, please. So I said, sure. You know, Zimbabweans, you're used to being waited. Uh, <laughs> you're used to waiting at immigration lines. Yeah. So then he comes back to me and he says, please go to the office over there. So I go to the office over there. All right. I'm escorted there. I get into the office and a man from behind the desk stands up. And he greets me and I greet him. He says, are you Patrick Mandros? I said, yes. He said, are you the one that catches the big snakes? I said, <laughs> I said, I think so. All right. And he picks up his telephone, and on his telephone, he's got a movie of me catching an African rock python. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't believe that. And he, and he this guy, was a snake fan. I mean, you know, he's got a collection of boas and this from South America and whatever else from Indonesia. And he just wanted to know. I went, I went through that, uh, that immigration like a diplomat, man. I didn't know everyone waved me through. So, Anyway, it all catches up with you, doesn't it? Ridiculous. <laughs> We're crying out loud. <laughs> oh, man. Travelling with you must be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway. And tell so, us how you first got into um, um, 
Tell me how you first sort of started working with silver, because that's what you're really known for and what I just remember about the amazing... Yeah. I remember... Okay. Do you remember that... Thank um, you. Do you remember that sculpture you showed me that had been a private commission? It was only a picture on your phone, but it was the... Yeah. It was the um, stingrays, the table. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Just oh, that was a great commission. But how I got into it, you know... Uh, on a serious note, Nick, I mm. wanted to be good at something. My, my father and mother were very, very intelligent people. My sisters, younger sisters, were all super bright. And I, I just didn't crack it at school. I, I wasn't interested. Far more interested in looking out the window, looking at birds, going to birds' nests, catching, you know, little snakes and what have you. So, but what I did want to do because I had a bit of a conscience about that. I wanted, I wanted to be good at something. Okay? And, and, uh, and so I'd, I'd draw. I'd do, I'd do very acceptable drawings, particularly of hawks, eagles, and falcons. Right. And, uh, and those would get recognition, and I liked that. And uh, but I still didn't know what I, I became a soldier and then from being a soldier, I was a baker and then, and then I made a pair of earrings, soldier, baker, <laughs> earring maker. All right. I made a pair of earrings and I gave them to my bride to be a little token of love. Okay. And she wore them. And showed her best friends they wanted a pair of earrings. In yeah. fact, I was in hospital at the time, and and I and there I became an earring maker, and it was recognition. And then somebody said you should uh, you should uh, take these um, take these earrings and sell them. And it, it started almost naturally by two two jealous ladies in one little uh, one little village shopping area. Uh, both wanting to stock my stuff right. and what I made, and that was it. That's how I got started. And having made the pair of earrings, I said, "Now I'm going to make an elephant, and I'm going to make the best elephant." Uh, hippopotamus loved hippopotamuses, uh, uh, just because they 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 they're such interesting, big, amoebic-like creatures that mm. roll over. They're easy to carve and distort. They got great and shape. They? Yeah, big shape, big foot. <laughs> you know, that lovely, lovely. Uh, early morning call of theirs. And um, so all of these things I needed to do. And, and I was very influenced by Japanese discipline. Japanese, Japanese artists carved little round toggles uh, called netsuke. And yeah. a netsuke... Basically, they used to wear kimonos, the, the, the Japanese, and, and kimonos have no pockets. They've got a sash called an obi. And a, the, the netsuke, the toggle, was a little golf ball-sized carving, all right? And I want to tell you that, there's a, that it was a whole world in that alone, and the very, very best artists used to carve them. So there was That's because they're highly competition. Now, yeah, oh, huge, and, they, and a great sign of status. And I started to carve Netsuke. I started to mimic them right. uh, just because of the discipline to be good, and that's helped me because I don't profess to be anything else other than a, a realistic carver or a sculptor. All right? I don't know how to find a mood in something. I respect it, but uh, you know, I'll leave that for 
somebody else who's not smoking cigars. And, um, and uh, so, but what I did was it allowed me to exercise discipline. So whichever piece you pick up of ours, of ours now, because all our sons are involved in the business, but whichever you pick it up, you look underneath and there are the feet of the animal. You pick up the hippopotamus, the recumbent hippo, the hippo lying down on the sandbag, pick him up, look underneath, and there are all of his feet. Uh. As much work underneath as there is on the top. And so it got going. And then, uh, and then also pieces must be studied. Is that if you ask me to carve uh, a falcon, which type of falcon is my first question? Yeah. Is it a is it a a peregrine falcon like we've been speaking about? Is it an Australian brown falcon? Is it a Southern African lana falcon? Is it a Middle Eastern lager falcon or saker falcon? Yeah, you see, let's be specific, and that way was another way of us getting respect from people when they turned around and said, look at that falcon. This man has, has produced a peregrine or uh, this man has produced a sacred falcon. That, that, that's a huge honor. So now what happened in this particular case with the manta rays was that um, we, uh, we were commissioned to make manta rays for somebody's birthday and 24 manta rays going across a table, starting low at the one end. Mm. So it now became, and you're not going to get Mavros into the ocean. I declare oh, really? right now, I'm not going nowhere with sharks, nowhere where I can't <laughs> see really the bottom. All right. Okay. Oh, that's After interesting. Whatever. The sand bed. Okay, and I'm not interested in that ocean. You put me on a jacuzzi on the edge of the ocean. Yes. I'm not <laughs> in it. Right. I mean, I love it. Love fishing. Yeah. <laughs> and I know my son Forbes. Yeah, son Forbes, you know, of course, he's in Mauritius making his wonderful uh, jewelry collection out there. He's in, he loves the ocean. Yeah. But what I did do is I immersed myself in research and movies, particularly the clients' movies of these manta rays and got to understand how they traveled and how they hunted. How they started off swimming low, gliding across the surface of the, the gliding across the surface of the sands, you see. And then as they find their prey in the ocean, they come up, start to sweep up and turn over on themselves. And before you know it, there's a big swirling vortex yeah. of manta rays and then back down they slide away back off the end of the table and that was the story so there they are suspended on all of this silver kelp that we put there made it look absolutely natural and then uh, Forbes and Patrick uh, Jr. set the eyes of sapphires tiny little really sapphire eyes and they also made the little sea urchin candle light holders which were on the silver sand on the bottom of the table so you've got this table you've got these sea urchins with these little silver bar silver sandbars you've got this light flickering up hitting these sapphire eyes and if you walk into that room at night and there's just this whole school shoal collection 
of swimming, swirling manta rays with tiny glittering blue eyes. It's a beautiful sight. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. Where do you uh, get really the silver the, from, Patrick? A silver is a byproduct in my country, a byproduct of the gold refining ah, business. Of course. So gold is mined and has always been mined here for, for thousands of years. And then it goes to the refinery. And in the refinery, the silver is separated from the gold. And I buy that. And that's interesting because we alloy it here. We alloy it to sterling silver. Right. Long ago, we were a colony of Great Britain. And we were given the marks as a colonial outpost. We were, our, our standards association was given the hallmarks. So they were allowed to hallmark our pieces. Yeah. And the mark given by the London Goldsmiths Hall to us is a sable antelope in a head for silver and an elephant's head within a little triangle for gold. Those are our two marks. Ah, because the, you see, silver, silver is hugely governed issue from 600 years ago. The then King John was being ripped off by his metal makers, his, his coin makers, and his silversmiths, some of them, they, they, they were the diluting the gold and the silver. So he imported from now Germany a community known as Oersterlings. Oersterlings were metallurgists. You mean 600 years ago? Shipped <laughs> them over to England, and they standardized, met, they standardized 22 karat gold. 18 karat gold. Really? That's what they standard. Yeah, and they standardized silver, sterling silver from the name Oersterling. Hallmarks, because all the marks were stamped at the town halls of Birmingham, Sheffield, Edinburgh, London. Hallmark, that's the stamp that you get. Yeah. And it's still very strictly uh, controlled today, and that's what a wonderful thing that is. Yeah. Amazing. So, Yes. And tell me, so, uh, when you when you yes. you know you thinking about a new, you're going to do a pangolin, you're going to do a, I don't know, you're going to do a snake, you're going to do a monkey. Tell me how we, how do yes. you start and how does it finish? You know. How okay. Do you so, and, and very often, if I meet the person concerned, okay, I got to tell you, Nick, I just want to tell you a quick one. Yeah. I once had a very wealthy man in America. Uh, he, he, he came to me and he said, I like your art. He said, and he's a big, and I'm looking at this guy, solid head, big jaw, long arms, very heavy forearms. He says, I want you to make something that symbolizes me. <laughs> he says, uh, my determination and I want to tell you, this was a tough guy. I don't know what he made his money out right. of, but he was a tough guy. Big, strong arm. And I looked at him, and I'm saying, I'm sure I've seen this guy in an African jungle somewhere before, you know, <laughs> as he's talking to me. He says, I want you to make me something that symbolizes. I said, sir, I've worked it out. I've worked it out. He says, what is it? I said, it is a male silverback gorilla. <laughs> All right. I said, it's a... It's uh, intelligent, it's strong, etc. But that is how, you know, it's just a little example right. of, of how you can look at somebody and adapt something to them. But if you know the person, it's a huge step 
in the right direction because you want to make them. And for us, it's to make classic pieces that will yeah. endure time. Classic pieces, pieces that are only appreciate. That's our, our whole thing but with me and my sons as, as, as we go along. So if someone says monkeys, uh, a man says monkeys, um, someone asked me once for something called monkeys, and I came up with an idea of a monkey lamp on his desk, on his executive desk. There was this tree, and I put it at angles, sort of zigzag tree. It's actually an African tree called a monkey bread tree. Monkeys love it because they love eating right. pods. Okay. So, and in this tree, I had two naughty monkeys. I had one monkey had his tail wrapped around the main trunk of the tree. He was stretched down and out with his arm outstretched as if he was about to lift the expensive pen <laughs> off the man's desk, you see. And then there's another monkey above him who's the lookout because a monkey always has a lookout. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. That's the noise a vervet monkey makes. Oh, oh, oh. You see, he's a lookout guy. And he's kind of... He's also the boy about town. He's got one leg on the tree. He's got one arm on the tree, and he's sort of swinging out, all right? And he's, he's looking for danger while his buddy is stealing the pen, all right? So this is the story. But also, he's a good-looking young guy swinging out there, you know, showing <laughs> himself off to the girls, whatever. He looks good, let me assure you. And uh, so... And then, because this lamp's now getting a little bit expensive, okay, I put a mother and baby, a mother just <laughs> cuddling its little Very baby clever. above all of them in a canopy. You understand? So when when the fellow's wife walks in and gives him <laughs> hell for spending whatever he spends on the lamp, he's going to say, "But sweetheart, I did it for you." All right. <laughs> You're a good mother, <laughs> but, but anyway, we one of the one of the interesting things, Nick, about uh, about what I do is I never had any education in in what I do. Right, and and uh, I what I had was I had the enthusiasm and the yeah. passion. That's what I had, and so I was never ever restricted. No lecturer ever gave me a pound of modeling wax, uh, two meters of aluminum wire, and, and a short plank, and then said, right, from this I'd like you to use for imagination and sculpt. I, I never had that restriction. No. I, I was never restricted with a quantity or something finite. I just had an imagination. And one of the things that got to me was as I started to get involved in bigger and bigger pieces, and to answer your question, modeling them in wax, you see. Right. Modeling them in special sculptor's wax. And um, so as I started to model bigger pieces and bigger table centerpieces, I looked at all the classic candle holders that they were everywhere, even from people that I admired. And I still admire them. And I admire their, their absolute superior craftsmanship but oh my goodness on the imagination let's do something different yeah yeah, yeah. i thought why why can't i have a couple of big old african trees coming out of that table and a herd of 30 elephants 
walking around the trees, temperate mm. elephants, calves with their, their cows, the mothers, bulls out ahead, looking, uh, reaching up into the trees, so that everybody who sits around that table is talking, saying, oh my goodness, take a look, what elephant have you got in front of you? And then, by the way, pick up the elephant, and underneath the elephant is its name. Name, what's his name? His name is Chipotani. <laughs> Go and Google Chipotani. He's a real elephant from Zimbabwe. Okay, Chipotani is an elephant who only had one tusk, all right? And there's a story to him. Anyway, be that as it may, every little elephant has a story. The trees depict the Mopani tree or a Baobab tree. So what I did with tables now is, is take them to uh, a more, what I think is, is a more, I say it respectfully, is a more interesting level. Yeah. Conversation pieces. All right, the different things that I've done from the manta rays to herds of elephant to that great African silhouette, you know, the flat-topped acacia tree, flat-topped thorn trees of yep. East Africa. And what do you see standing underneath them? Giraffe. <laughs> now, you just look at a silver table like that. And all of those, all of those pieces just require a huge amount of input from me, and I've got a couple of assistants, and we work at that seven days a week. I'm working on another one right now. The, the lady doesn't know, but it's going to, she lives in Europe, she wants a table piece. I'm going to make European bee eaters. A bee eater is a migratory bird, and as it sounds, it eats bees, it flies, it catches bees and other insects in the sky, beautifully colored. And I'm going to do bee eaters flying and swirling and, and darting all over the top of her table, all right, through these particular trees. That's what I'm going to do. Stunning uh, birds as well, aren't they? Gonna love yeah, yeah. And I got a great call. They're stunning birds. They're beautiful. She loves classical music. Right. So this is what is going through my head. Sorry to you, you ask how I come up with the idea. Then once I got the idea, I'm going to make up a couple of little pieces uh, and, and show her. I'm going to make them up in wax, and then uh, and then show her what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that that's those are just some of my and the same with the jewelry. If I get onto jewelry adornment, I'm an African. I'm <laughs> not a jeweler, right? Okay. I'm a, my. I have got. Two sons who are wonderful Jewelers, wonderful, highly accomplished Jewelers. I am not a Jewel. I'm an adorner. Yeah. I like putting adornment on people. If it's a, a cuff for a man, you know, it would be uh, in the form I'll sculpt a, a section of crocodile skin uh, in, in wax and then cast it. Because the whole deal with, with lost wax casting is this. You say, why waxed? Wax is malleable. Wax is accurate. If I take a big, fat, round hippo, okay, and I model that hippo, it just looks like a hippo, two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and big, fat, round body like a tennis ball. Take him, cover him with plaster of Paris. Yeah. Drill a little hole underneath. Plaster sets in 10 minutes. Put him in my, in my wife's kitchen oven. Turn up the temperature to maximum. I don't know what it'll be, probably about 400. 
wax melts, drips out through the little hole in the bottom, and what's left in the plaster of Paris? A hollow shape of a hippo. Yeah, yeah. Because the wax is gone, and that's where I pour my silver. That's what we do. You see, the lost wax process. And, and uh, is it something that you you have to do, Patrick? I mean, do you feel like you know you're ever going to step back, or will you always be fiddling about and thinking and, and coming up with something? No, and I don't want to overreact here. I've got a I've got a hell of a lot more to do in my life. All right, <laughs> I got either I'm sixty I'm sixty seven in a few weeks. I've got to tell you, I have got so many interesting things to make. That's what I want to do, like right. from baobab trees. I mean, you imagine that baobab trees been yeah. around three, some 4,000 years. There were Roman legionnaires in them, in those flip-flops they used to wear, and yeah. their knee guards and their swords and plumed helmets walked under baobabs that are alive today. No way. There are animals that live in baobabs. They're fruit of the baobab, the, the, the cream of tartar pod. And it has up to, up to 300 little seeds in there, all of them shaped like hearts. You mm. just imagine the romance of this Incredible. African tree. It's just huge. So there's, 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 this is nonstop. This is <laughs> nonstop. I want a bigger studio, if you want to know the truth, right? right? I want a bigger studio. I want my sons to go and run the business. I want to create pieces. Yeah. Uh, I got, I got lot, I got, I got plenty to in my head. Thanks for asking, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wondered, but I mean, you used to spend a fair bit of your time travelling, Patrick, and obviously for the time being, you're at home. Are you happy with that? Are you, are you at your happiest when you're there? Yes, I, I, I very happy, especially where we live and, and what has been created, and uh, you know, depth. First law of the jungle, adapt or die. Yeah. How we have and how my family over the years has adapted to Africa. Yeah, it is definitely, this is just my home and I absolutely love it. Traveling is very inspiring for me because I meet people from all different parts of the world. Yeah. I just, I've had, uh, my last journey was to Russia. All right, where I went to a city called Kirov, and in Kirov, I stayed with a family that make these little matryoshkas, the little Russian dolls, one okay. thing was inside the other, the oh, other, yeah. the other. Yeah. Right, because I wanted them to teach me how to make little elephants sitting, one baby elephant inside the other baby no. elephant. And you just meet these, we, could, we hardly had a word of English between us. <laughs> we had a lot of vodka. And uh, a lot of nice smoked fish and uh, a lot of little dolls. But what I do want to say is that it takes from there to another fascinating country for me where I have some great friends in Pakistan, you right. know, in rural Pakistan. It's just absolutely people making tribal carpets. Uh, it's uh, wonderful falconers. And then shooting from there, going off to wherever in Argentina. I love traveling. Yeah. You see, yeah. I uh, traveling for me is is a, is a huge inspiration. Uh, love seeing the arts. Um, but anyway, that's uh, yeah. I, I like being here. I've done a huge amount here. I didn't know I could uh, <laughs> during this lockdown. Oh, it's made me think. Really, 
really? about so many different, yeah, new ideas, etc. Well, that's good. And new adornment, new adornment. How did people, what do they put it on for? How good do they look? You know, yeah. I like to see someone from a distance. They don't have to have a lot. doesn't have to be expensive as long as it looks good and stylish on them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Time for one more quick story. Can you tell us, this is yeah. another one that sticks in my head, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks for asking. So, so <laughs> many, many years ago, there was a big uh, uh, human rights uh, initiative to have Bruce and Sting mm. and various other international artists travel to a number of countries, putting on concerts to bring uh, awareness to human rights. And this was their big contribution. Yeah. Okay, right. So here we are in Zimbabwe. In our home are two couples from Connecticut, USA. They were from Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. And they were two honeymoon couples. Two sisters married two, two chaps. Right. And they're staying with us. They're friends of ours. They're staying and we've got a couple of thatched guest rendezvous and they're staying in there. Right. And we're all up for breakfast one day and we were talking about this, this, uh, this big uh, music festival that was going to take place in the national stadium and da di da di da and who the singers were. and what. Now, had you turned around and said to me, Tom Jones, uh, Elvis Presley, <laughs> Percy Sledge, you told me one of those, Mavros would have jumped up and down. But no, I didn't because I just know, I know that guy, I don't know, still to this day what Sting sang, but uh, Bruce, I know he's saying like, born in the USA. That, <laughs> yeah, okay. that's it. You got so it. I'm sitting having breakfast on our veranda overlooking our African Valley, beautiful view, and the telephone goes. The telephone's next to the breakfast table. I pick it up, and it's the organizer of the show, Gavin. Right. Yeah, he says, uh, Patrick said, listen, uh, he said, I've got uh, um, Mr. Bruce Springsteen, uh, here with his, uh, in those days, partner to become his wife, Patty Schiaffler. And, and he hasn't seen any animals in Africa and you've got your private game reserve there and we're just wondering if he can come out and look at an elephant and a giraffe, and, uh, et cetera. So I said, with pleasure, but can he come today? I said, with pleasure. <laughs> when do you want to come? He says, at between one and two. I said, hang on, that, that's lunchtime. Uh, hold on a second. Katja, uh, I say to my wife, darling, can we have a Bruce fiancé and a couple of his mates for lunch because they want to go on a safari ride? She said, sure. Uh, I said, so an American, two American couples are tuned into the conversation. <laughs> And they're looking and their jaws are getting closer and closer to the ground. I said, ask him if he wants to come for lunch and then we'll go for uh, a safari walk. And he turns around and he says, Bruce, Patrick Mavros wants to know if you want to come for lunch. Well, i got to tell you. I, <laughs> he said, yes, please. My goodness gracious. When I said to my wife, they're coming for lunch, both American couples said, 
oh yeah, sure, Bruce Springsteen's <laughs> coming for lunch. <laughs> yeah, of course. Anyway, he, he arrives. He arrives, gets out of the minibus. He's not very tall, and he says, uh, "How you doing? Are you Patrick?" I said, <laughs> "Yes. Nice to meet you, Bruce Patrick." And I wanted to, this is Patty, Patty Scaffler. So I said, "Nice to meet you, Patty. Welcome to our home." And we went through and sat on the veranda and had a bit of lunch. Then we headed off on our safari. All right. And Bruce had two big bodyguards. I'll never forget. One was in the Bay of Pigs invasion. Don't ask me why I got a memory for that, but I Crikey, never really. Bay of Pigs. It was a monster. We go down, and my introduction is going to be to show Bruce some zebras, impalas, giraffes, and then go to the elephant. Yeah. And we got to cross a river first, okay? So I said, Bruce, we're going to cross the river over here. I'll go first across these stepping stones, and then you come behind me, and then Big John can walk behind you. So we, we get halfway across the river, and Bruce says to me, Hey, Patrick. <laughs> yes, Bruce. What lives in the river? I said, we got uh, otters and we got pythons. <laughs> Python, Python, that's a bloody snake, right? I said, yeah. He said, oh, Gee, he just leapt in the big John's arms. He says, Patrick, the safari is over. <laughs> okay, so that was it. <laughs> so, uh, that was it. The that was, was Bruce over. Springsteen's safari. And that was Bruce. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anyway, such a great story. So, such a great story. Yeah. Listen, before we let you go, I know so you, you, you've got to get on with your morning. Yes. I could talk to you all day. But um, yeah. what have you been smoking? No, damn, what's, what's good at the minute? Well, you know, I've, uh, I, I'm just thoroughly enjoying some wide Churchills. Okay, oh. Romeo and Juliet, yeah. Wide Churchills. Yeah, me too. And I'm going to tell you about this little bit of whatever they call it, this little bit of paralysis that's going on around the planet here. Yeah. What it's done. It's made me think a lot more about what I'm smoking and how I'm smoking it. Yeah. And I'm dead serious because I'm, uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a very nice humidor. And I'll tell you what I've been enjoying. Uh, Bolivar bellicosis. Oh, Bolivar bellicosis after breakfast. Easy oh. to smoke. Full. Delicious. Wow. That's and a strong now, breakfast cigar. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm finding it fine for me. Bol <laughs> I like Bolivar Royal Corona. Bolivar bellicosis. Mm. Absolutely delicious. Gorgeous. For me. And then my wide Churchill's. <clears throat> On the bigger ones, I've had some Bolivar Liberators. Oh, yeah, the Libertador, yeah. Libertador, is that what it's called? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a hundred, I'm not a 100%, maybe they're not ready yet or something. I'm not, I'm not 100% on it, just they, so um, you know. Are they modern, are they modern production, Patrick? Because it was originally <laughs> out in, I think, 2011. And if you can get your hands on them, they are amazing. Ah, Ah, no, mine, no, I can't say mine are that old. I, I've got I, one for I you. I've got one two, for three, you. Right. <laughs> Thanks. Hang on. Let me tell you some more stories. You might have some more for me. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very true. I've definitely got one that I will give so, to you. And um, I have to thanks. say, it's when all this madness comes. Thanks, down. Nick. 
definitely on my yes. radar to come and see you if possible in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Ah, uh, so you you can. I tell you what, Zimbabwe starting to produce a little cigar. Really? It's, uh, with some of its tobacco. Of course, it's not Dominican, it's not Nicaraguan, it's not Cuban, but it's a very smokable little puff. And the next time I'm over there, I'm going to bring you some, all right? Oh, bless uh, you. And, and I don't say that lightly because I hardly touch a cigar that is not Cuban. That's very hardly true. Touch one. That's very yeah. true. So, so that's, uh, that's interesting. And then, of course, I've got to tell you these... Uh, uh, San Juan, uh, Hoyo de Monterrey. Oh, yeah. That I'm enjoying. Yeah, yeah. good cigar, that. Yeah. I've had, yeah, so that's it, you know, in a, in a roundabout way. <clears throat> well, there's, um, little, uh, there's a book on its way to you, Patrick. I've sent it to Alex. He's going to get it to you, which I would love you to read, and hopefully it will make you have a smile when you smoke a cigar. But when we, before we go, thank you. I, I wanted to I remember. I want to say thank you for that. Can uh, I say one thing? Yes, of course. The greatest thing, I have a saying, the greatest thing a man can do, a man or a woman can do in their lives, is to write a book. <laughs> I tell you. Really? If, if, if I ever wrote a book, I'd be a happy man. I just think that is a great achievement. So I just want to say to you, Nick, well done, mate. Oh, well done you. for doing that. Really. Thank you, mate. And thank you. I reckon there's a book. An, we should write a book for you, Patrick. You've got about three books in well, you. <laughs> I'll be your ghostwriter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So great. What a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. I will be in touch. Give my love to the family and um and stay safe out there. Thanks and the same to all of yours, Nick, and stay safe and look forward to seeing you. Thanks my friend. Okay. All the best. Bye. Bye bye, bye, bye. everybody. Bye everybody. Bye. Well, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? That was the amazing Patrick Mavros. If that doesn't get me to the top of the iTunes podcast list, I don't know what will. What an amazing man he is. As you can see, you sort of wind him up and let him go. But the stories, and they, I mean, I missed out loads of them that we could have gone. So maybe, uh, hopefully, when I do eventually get there and get him to take me on safari, I'll bring you with me, figuratively speaking. Thank you for listening, um, and thanks for your kind comments. As always, you're loving the pod, which is amazing and and great for me. It's given me a focus and a few things to get on with, apart from sitting here just typing away and and carrying on with other stuff. So uh, do keep letting people know it's out there, spreading the word, putting it on social media. I do appreciate that. And it just remains for me to tell you that, of course, this little chat and the people that chat with me are the sort of things and people that feature in my book, Around the World in 80 Cigars. Uh, It's published by Red Door Press and is available now from all good bookshops and all good cigar merchants. Uh, You can order it from your cigar merchant or you can visit www.nick-hammond.com and we will ship it to you wherever you are in the world. Thanks again for listening, guys. I hope you're all keeping well and enjoying the sunshine. Stay safe, uh, look after each other, and we'll speak again next time.